0: I'm just going to share my own personal journey um, on becoming a law professor. So, I when I went to law school, I was planning to be a civil rights lawyer, and that is what I became. Upon graduation, I um, litigated cases for school districts that focused on school funding equity issues. I worked on uh, worked for the United States Department of Education on issues of civil rights, so sex discrimination, disability discrimination, and race discrimination. So I helped to draft regulations about these issues. I helped to write guidance about these issues. These were, this was exactly what I went to law school to do. Um, what ultimately started happening was I was just asking questions about why we have the inequalities we have in education. And so those questions are sort of first generation questions. Like, sort of how did we get here to where we're trying to address all these areas of inequality? Why is the system so broken? Why do some kids get a terrible school and some kids get an excellent school? And so these are the kind of fundamental questions that I was thinking about and wanted to start writing about. Um, And as you might imagine, those are not the questions that come up in litigation um, that the federal government is engaging in, right? Like Those are questions underlying the litigation, um, and those are questions underlying the policies that we're creating, but they're not questions that your supervisor at the Department of Education is asking you to write about, right? And so ultimately, I um, decided to go on the market. And and this was actually something that a faculty mentor of mine um, recommended that I do in law school. I was his teaching assistant. He said, I think you would make a great law professor. And I was like, no, no. I think I'm going to go and be a civil rights lawyer. I'm very clear. You know, I'm one of those goal-oriented people. I make a lot of lists. And it was like law school check, clerkship check, and then be a civil rights lawyer. But he was right in that he, saw something in me that suggested I might um, you know sort of enjoy teaching and I might enjoy the intellectual inquiry that you get to engage in as a professor. So as a professor I get to write and think about why is our education system broken and I get to propose solutions for how we could build a better system. Those are things that you know oftentimes in litigation you're not always engaging those first-generation questions and so that is um, for me, one of the things that I really love about being a law professor. So one is, um, so in terms of thinking about why do I enjoy being a law professor, there are several reasons. One, I get to sort of, in, for the most part, except for my teaching schedule, I get to, ri- I get to write and think about, sort of I get to create my own set of sort of goals for work and sort of what I'm working on. I set my research agenda. No one is setting that for me. And so that's a lot of autonomy and flexibility, right? I mean, as long as I continue to be productive and focused on scholarship and um, speaking and those kinds of things, no one's going to come in and tell me, you, this week you have to write about this, and next month you have to write about this. I really set my own research agenda. And that's incredible. I mean, to be able to write about the things you're passionate about, think about the things you're passionate about, research about the things that you're passionate about. Um, so that level of autonomy um, is something that you will not find. In many areas of law. And so that is one of the things I love about being a law professor. Another thing is that I love research and writing. So basically, I could research and write sort of all day. Um, I'm a complete nerd. I embrace that in myself. Um, and I love researching and I love writing. I love reading. Like, I, I just love all of it. And so I could write, you know, all the time. And so, one of the great things about that is that. That is part of what I'm, you know, supposed to be doing as a law professor: is researching, writing, putting out scholarship. I mean, for me, it's really just a question of like, I just want to get more scholarship out and more scholarship out. It's not about oh, I have to write today. It's like oh, where can I carve out some time to write so that I can do part of what I love. Um, another thing that I really love, and this is how I approach my classes, is I really love engaging with students and encouraging them to think about being social engineers. So I challenge my students to think about and understand not just what the law is, but I want you to think about what the law should be. And in all of my classes, I encourage students to I teach upper-level classes, um, so I'm not in the core curriculum. And I'm challenging students in all of my classes to think about how is the law contributing to inequality, and how could you reform it to reduce inequality and create a more just um, society. So I love um, encouraging and challenging students to think about that. I've had so many students come to me and say, you know, in my entire time in law school, no one has ever asked me, what should the law be? They're mostly telling me what the law is, and we think about what the law is, and maybe even its trends and weaknesses. But you're the first professor to ask me, what should the law be? And so I'm always asking students that question, like not just, I help them understand what the law is. You can't say what the law should be until you know what it is. But I do always encourage them to think, about what it should be and then I challenge them like you will be out there making law. You are the future justices and judges and lawyers and, um, and reformers who are shaping um, issues of educational inequality. And So I challenge them to really think about how they could help to reform the system. And finally the last thing I really love about being a law professor, although there, I'm sure there are others, I love how flexible and family friendly it is. So my husband and I have three daughters Um, We have two young ones at home, and then one who's already graduated from college. And, you know, being a parent is a very busy (laughs) uh, responsibility. And so I can, if I'm done teaching for the day, I can go see my daughter's 4 o'clock volleyball game and cheer her on um, with her teammates. I can pick my kids up from school sometime. Um, I can tell you I end up usually making up that time some other time, whether it's early in the morning or late at night. But there's a flexibility there that I can be present to my kids when they're awake. And for me, that was something really important. I really wanted to um, be the one who was raising my kids, be the one who was there for them. And so being a law professor really allows me to do that. I craft my schedule. There's no one clocking when I come in and when I come out, when I take vacation and when I don't. I am productive and doing my job, so no one's sort of tracking. You don't, I'm not tracking my hours. I'm not tracking all those things. I'm just doing the things that I love, which I do organically, and then I have the space and the flexibility to make a schedule that I can be there for my family and be available. And to me, that is priceless. I would find it really difficult if I could not be present to my family in the ways that I, that I am. Do I sometimes have to be at work late, and they stay after school and um, stay late? Absolutely. I can't pick them up every day. But I, I love that I can even do that sometimes. And so for me, that flexibility is something that I really love. So that's me.
1: Great. So, um Uh, Rich Schrager I'm the chair of the academic placement committee and this is the committee Professor Nelson Professor Robinson and myself are the faculty members on that what we do is we assist folks uh, In going on the academic teaching market. We'll talk a little bit more about that Um, uh, My path to academia runs through also some practice I I graduated in law school. I clerked for a year on the Third Circuit. Then I went into a law firm in Washington, DC. I wanted to be a trial lawyer. I turned out to be not a very good trial lawyer because I didn't like conflict. Turns out you need to like conflict to be a trial lawyer. I got anxious about conflict, it turns out. So uh, uh, I then, although I I did enjoy certain practices, uh, certain parts of the practice. I transitioned to law teaching by doing a fellowship uh, and teaching some legal writing courses at Quinnipiac University Law School, um, and then uh, uh, went on the teaching market after that. So that was, a, was a fairly straightforward. I had practiced for about two and a half years. I went on the teaching market about three or four years uh, after clerking, so about five years after graduating. That's, that's a pretty standard. Um, Kind of timeline. Sometimes they're longer. Sometimes they're a little shorter. Um, teaching is. As someone told me is a loophole in life. Uh, law teaching in particular. Uh, uh, um, you get all those benefits that Professor Robinson talked about. Um, there are lots of ways to be a teacher. You don't have to. We're on the research faculty, which means we do a lot of uh, research and writing, and we teach. Uh, uh, most of the basic classes in the law school. There are also clinical faculty. There are administrative kinds of faculty that are engaged in academia as well. So there's a, there, there are a range of ways to get into the legal academy. Um, for clinical faculty, for example, they're excited because they get to bring cases and still be active litigators in many cases or transactional lawyers, but they get to work with students and they get to do a little bit of teaching and scholarship on the side. For research faculty, Um, the research and writing is a bigger piece of it. Uh, um, But also the teaching is obviously a a, a big draw for for those of us that do it. Um, uh, Let me say a little bit about the nuts and bolts of going on the teaching market, just because it's sort of a mystery. It's actually quite straightforward. You could go on the teaching market tomorrow if you wanted to. It's really the preparation for going on the teaching market. That's the important part, but just working backwards. The way we hire uh, at least um, uh, research faculty in law schools is we all show up in Washington DC at a big hotel, and we interview folks who have filled out a form and sent us their resumes. It's just a super centralized system There are anywhere between 300 and 600, maybe some more depending on the years, uh, uh, people who have filled out this form. Um, It's operated through the Association of American Law Schools, the AAALS, and it's called the meat market. That's a terrible word for it, but that's what it is. Um, That happens in the fall. Um, It happened a couple of weeks ago. And that's the market, the place where entry level law teachers go. Uh, uh, Law faculties have a committee uh, that screens the resumes of potential entry-level law teachers. Those are submitted to those committees in July or August of that summer. And then they reach out to potential candidates between then and the the meat market to ask them to come to 20-minute interviews in hotel rooms. This looks a little bit like OGI in a way, but it's in a hotel room, which is weirder, because there's like a bed. There. <laughs> and, then, um, uh, and then the committee meets with those folks for 20 minutes at a time, and then decides whether to bring some of them back for full day interviews. And the full day interviews involve um, office interviews, again, similar to things you might do for, for other kinds of jobs, and what's called a job talk, which for research faculty means presenting a paper, an original research paper to the faculty and answering questions about it. Sometimes meeting with students, you meet with the dean and so on. That's the whole thing. That's how the system works. It's actually quite low cost. It's it's, uh, very centralized and and very convenient in that respect. the, uh, the working up to that, to getting to a place where you're an attractive candidate for law teaching is a different matter. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, do you want to talk about yeah, you know, what talk to do? About what's to do. What's yeah. To
0: do. Yeah. yeah, so you all are probably, if you're interested in teaching, are thinking about, what should I be doing right now if I want to be a, a, a law professor? And there's a number of things to think about. So my first recommendation to you is to think about being a research assistant. Why might you wanna do that? You're gonna need some faculty members who know you well and can speak highly of your work. That can happen from a seminar, a small class. Um, So that's my second recommendation. Take some seminars and small classes where faculty members get to know you well. But I really think there's nothing to substitute from being a research assistant, in part because you get a one-on-one relationship with a faculty member. Even in a seminar of 16, there's still quite a lot of people around the table who are sharing their opinion. Whereas when you work one-on-one with a faculty member doing, doing research, you just get that close relationship where they really get to know you, and they can talk about your work. They have, you know, When I write um, recommendation letters, I write about the assignments students have done for me. I write about how they did. Were they thorough? Were they, was the memo clear? Was it? You know, I write about their analytical skills, are they professional, on time, all those kinds of things. All of those things are established in this relationship. And so I definitely encourage you to think about being a research assistant. There's many ways to do that. A lot. Most of us hire research assistants over the summer. Most of us hire more than one. Um, but also, so you might think about like which professors are working in the areas you are interested in. Um, also, there's something called directed research, um, where you can get to know a faculty member well. And then the other way, kind of, the second recommendation is: is think about a seminar or independent research. So independent research is another one-on-one chance with a faculty member. The faculty member you are then um, writing a paper that you want to write, but you have a faculty member supervising you. So that's another way to get to know a faculty member well, to establish a relationship with them, so that when you go on the market, sort of five years later. They, you know, should have a recollection of yes, I worked with you weekly for you know a semester. That's that's a relationship that just kind of stands in time. So you want to look for those opportunities to have close interactions with faculty members because you're going to need these um, recommenders. Third thing you want to so those are the sort of first to your first either research assistant or director research. Second is a, uh, a seminar or some kind of um, independent research. Third is you definitely want to go onto a journal and write, if at all possible. I know that's not always possible for all journals. I'm actually very new to Virginia, so I'm still learning the journal system here. All the journals are a little bit different, but my sense is there are many opportunities to be on a journal, uh, and so that's a wonderful thing because there are many law schools who have three journals, and you have far more than that. And so the nice thing about a journal is one, you are forced to look at a lot of writing, right? You cite check things, you look at writing, and by editing and making recommendations on other people's writing, your own writing gets better. So Professor Schroger and I were actually on Law Review together, um, and we site-checked a lot of articles in our time in law school. Um, but I definitely attribute Law Review to Making me the writer I am today in some substantial part because it just, when you are editing people's sentences over and over, you just write your sentences better because you're like, well, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to have all these extra words, I don't want to, you know, have these sort of broken things happening. So you start to become a better writer by editing other people's work. And you really, I mean, you learn the blue book inside and out, and you learn what strong citations are and weak citations are, right? So you learn how to really cite to a primary source um, for a particular proposition. Um, So additional things you want to think about, you do want to think about how you are performing in law school. Grades do matter upon graduation, they do. um, One of the only times I've had my transcript looked at upon graduation was when I went on the teaching market and my first school that I taught at was Emory University and they said send us your transcript and I was like, no, I didn't ask my transcript for a really long time. And so, um, I mean, obviously it's the test of time, but it was, it was, you know, you want to think about the courses that you're th- taking as well as how you're performing in class. You are all at a wonderful law school and, and probably know that you will graduate and be able to get a job, but you don't want that to be a reason to sort of stop engaging in your course. One, it's just a tremendous loss for you, but two, a law school may eventually, especially if you're an entry-level candidate, less likely when you're a lateral candidate. I even have had, you know, since my want to ask for a transcript but your entry-level job they may want your transcript they want to see sort of how you did in law school and sort of what you were taking what we were thinking about then and so somebody someday may be looking at your transcript and making assessments about who you were as a law student um, so those are sort of some of the main things to think about in law school I think the other thing to do is depending on the type of faculty member you want to be so for example if you want to be a clinical professor one day, then certainly you want to take advantage of those opportunities in law school. You don't have to do every clinic. That's, that would be overwhelming, right? But just definitely pick some that you're um, excited about. Um, same thing if you want to be research faculty, then again, as I mentioned, like, take advantage of opportunities in law school to write, to try to publish a student note, um, to try to even publish a paper outside of a student journal, or even one that you can publish right upon graduation. Um, and then finally, I think one thing to really think about in terms of um, what to do in law school is, if you do a great job with a paper here, it can be a great foundation for a paper that you eventually publish. You may not publish it during your time in law school, but it can have the seeds of an article that becomes a publishable paper. And so, even if you, you know, even if, for example, Law turns you down and you're not able to publish your paper there, that doesn't mean some other journal is not going to think it's great and pick it up. And so you want to not only think about the opportunities that UVA would give you to publish, but upon graduation, once you have that JD after your name, other journals will think about your piece uh, as a possibility for publication. Hard to publish at other schools when you are a law student, but not so much when you have the JD after your name. And then finally, I would say, think very hard about doing a clerkship. So um, this is one of the things that, Law schools, for whatever reason, we look for clerkships as a, a marker of sort of excellence among the student body. And clerkships are um, something where you can gain valuable experience. And remember, I was saying you're going to need some recommenders who know you will. Your judge um, can serve as a recommender. So when I went to Emory, they called, I clerked for Judge Browning on the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco, and they called him and they asked, What kind of law clerk was she? Now, mind you, I went on the market like eight years later. Um, but still, they wanted to talk to my judge and, and ask my judge, you know, what was she like as a law clerk? Was she good at research? Was she good? How was her writing? All those things. Like, they asked this of my judge, even though it had been quite some time that I would have continued to develop as a, as a lawyer. So I would say those things are the things to think about. There's reasons outside of becoming a law professor to do a clerkship. I really think it's one of the best jobs you can have upon um, as a lawyer, like the, just getting inside a judge's chambers and getting inside their head and watching how chambers work and um, getting to talk with other judges, it's really fun and invaluable. Um, you get some real insights on how judicial opinions are made and decided and written. Um, and so that is, has a value just in and of itself. But if you're thinking about teaching, it's also just kind of one of the markers that people look for when we are considering candidates. Um, so those are the things that I would think
1: about. Do you want to add to that? So I would just add, um, one of the things you're hearing here are folks like us who, who um, have just a JD. Am I right about that? Yes. I have an MA, but it's like the, the, the advanced degree is a JD. There are other members of this faculty um, who have a slightly different route. And I just want to mention that at the outset, which is um, uh, there are a number of our faculty also have a PhD. And that's much more common than it used to be. It's still, not, uh, it's still not the overwhelming number of faculty, but it's a significant number of faculty. And those folks have either done a joint JD-PhD at the, sort of the same time, or they did the PhD and then the JD, or vice versa. Um, and what we see in, in, uh, in terms of PhDs are mostly history Uh, and economics, I think those are the dominant ones, but also sociology, psychology, uh, PhDs also. And in those cases, the route towards academia is more conventional in terms of, say, the wider university. That is, to get a job in the wider university, obviously, you have to have a PhD in most cases. And you do research and writing. You... complete a dissertation, you then go on the teaching market, say, in an English department, an economics department, or a history department, on the basis of that work, which you will then, say, turn into a number of articles or a book or something like that. And that process can be long. It can be five years, six years, seven years in the PhD. If you're also doing a JD, you're adding two or three years to that. So there are folks that have those joint degrees, and they're doing a more traditional uh, route, at least in terms of the wider university, as opposed to, to, to those of us who have done re- received a JD, then did some practice, then transitioned to the market. And let me just say something about that transition. In order to transition to the market as a JD it's, uh, from practice, it's often necessary to get some time off and either through a fellowship or some kind of visiting uh, teaching uh, or visiting professorship. And uh, that's what I did when I taught at Quinnipiac very part time in the legal writing program. That gave me time to do some writing, which is what I needed to do. Um, Because when you then go on the teaching market, you are competing with some PhDs who have spent the last five years doing, say, a dissertation or a series of articles or working on a book, and you're somebody coming out of practice, you need a little bit of time to also produce some work. What, As a research faculty uh, member, what, uh, uh, what uh, law schools are looking for is some, some evidence of scholarly productivity and promise. Um, and it ranges. Different law schools have different criteria for that. Um, some will want to see a ton of writing, and some will just want to see, say, one or two pieces. Um, uh, it just depends. Uh, um, and it's very variable. But, but these are two different routes. And if you're thinking, hey, maybe I'm into the academic route, but I'm, I, you know, I really want to do the PhD as a joint degree, that's another way to, way to do this.
0: Yeah, and I would just add one of the advantages of doing the PhD is people tend to publish off of their PhD for years after. And so they've done this body of work and they pump out like multiple papers from the PhD and usually a book or two from the PhD work. And so that is a huge running start in your academic career. You have all this work to kind of feed off of. You're not doing sort of original research then. You've done the original research during the PhD. And so you start publishing articles and then... Three, a book or two from your PhD work. And so that is, you know, really gets you on a running start for um, your publishing career. So, should we take questions? Yeah. questions. Yeah. That was a name. lot of information we just gave you, but we welcome your, your questions. Yeah? How common is it for uh, students to go straight from clerkship to um, legal academia rather than going out to the field and then coming back?
1: So, it's, it, in, the, in the old, old days, um, this is, say, Alan Dershowitz at Harvard. He, he, he graduates number one in his class, he clerks, he clerks for the Supreme Court, and then Harvard brings him back as the youngest professor, and then he gets his youngest tenured professor. You'd like to brag, but I had him as a criminal operator. <laughs> um, in any case, um, so we don't do that anymore very much. That is, it's I think it's probably quite unusual to go from a clerkship right to an academic job, a tenure track academic job, uh, without something in between. It's possible to do that if you've done the PhD first, then you clerked, then because you're actually in the kind of that's the traditional uh, timing for PhDs but even PhDs do sort of postdoc fellowships in between much much more than they used to so I think for again for just the JD who say clerking um, there's usually some some period of practice or some fellowship um, or probably both Um, what I would say is it's it's uh, law schools are a little wary of folks who have been out for Say more than five or eight years. I think your your trajectory is a little yeah, bit longer, longer, a little bit longer out in the world. Um, uh, once you're out, you know, past a decade or something, and trying to transition back in, that's a little trickier. In part because um, you've been further away from the academy for longer. That doesn't mean you don't do it. Rachel Harmon on our faculty was doing uh, civil rights litigation in the in the Justice Department for at least a decade and transitioned into the academy. So it, it's, it's not a hard and fast rule. But three to five years out of, out, of grad, uh, out of graduation from your JD is sort of the rough window. Again, it's not a hard and fast rule. But it's, it's, it, it would be quite unusual to, to come out of your clerkship, unless you had written a couple of books. You're very precocious. <laughs> Right. You wrote a bunch of books in high school. That would do it, and then you can, you can get there. Yeah, but good question.
0: I think part of what happens when people, um, and when people are out a really long time is that you, you always raise the question of, do they want to be a professor, or do they just want to leave their firm? No, and sure so, could. I mean, you'll see that if you go to a firm, there's a place where people start to just peel off, and the question is they peel off to the academy because they want to be here? They're longing to be a law professor because we want you to love it, right? The tenure process is rigorous. And once people are granted tenure, like it's very rare for someone to be removed. And so you want someone who's passionate about teaching and passionate about writing, not just that they're like in a house on fire and they're trying to get out of it, right? So that's part of the question that has to be answered. And many people have answered that successfully and said, yes, I did this. I was passionate about this litigation. I'm equally passionate about being a professor. But that's the question that gets raised is that, you know, where's, what's the motivation and what's, you know, what's the backstory there? Yeah? My question was, and you guys
2: might not know this, but those of us that are planning to finance our degrees with PSLF, um, if it's a public school, is that still qualify? Or do you have to, or would I, have like, because you were saying, like, 10 years is getting too long, um, or do, would you have to, you think, wait to do the 10 years of PSLF if that's how you're trying to finance your degree before? Moving in because it wouldn't qualify anymore as like
1: qualified employment. This is for the public. Oh, oh, yeah, so I don't know the answer to that, um, and I take it there are there are, there are also salary caps for that. Is that right? Not, not for the government. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. So I, I just don't know the answer I, as a public law school whether that would qualify, um, but it's a good question. We can find out.
0: Yeah, we can research.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes, ma'am? Um, so for someone who's thinking about practicing transactional law but still wants to be a professor eventually one day, does like, the clerkship path look different? Because I've noticed that leading leaders tend to do their clerkships, I guess, one or two years after graduating. And I, I was just wondering about how that would look for like, a corporate attorney who wants to teach. That's a great question. So one of the things to think about doing if you're thinking about becoming a corporate law professor is to think about clerking at the Supreme Court of Delaware. So this is where just so much of corporate law comes from, and so that's a really prestigious clerkship if you're going to go into teaching in that way. Um, I think still there's great value for even someone who's going to teach corporate law to do a clerkship. Um, An appellate clerkship isn't as, even though it's litigation, it's not as litigation-focused as a district court clerkship. Um, And so what you're learning at the clerkship is things like writing, research, analytical skills, all those skills, those are still going to be valuable for a corporate attorney. There's nothing on that list that a corporate attorney doesn't need. And so it's still very valuable to have that experience.
1: Yeah, now we do have folks who I think went into the corporate world without clerkships and then came into teaching. Um, um, It's... And that's because they gained some special some specialty in that world, say the world of finance or the world of um, um, uh, corporate law. Um, so there's a slightly, I, I, I don't want to, I, I think you should clerk regardless. I, I agree um, with that recommendation. Um, uh, but there, there's they are looking for something slightly different, which might be. And also... One thing, if you're interested in sort of corporate law, it's very economics heavy. And so some expertise in economics, not necessarily a PhD, although that would, might be something that you think about, but um, gaining some, some uh, uh, understanding and fluidity with economic concepts. Because a lot of the corporate law today is very economics heavy.
0: The other thing I will say about going into the market and wanting to teach anything in corporate law
2: is it
0: can be tougher for law schools to hire corporate law faculty because corporate law faculty often are paid very well and so they often don't want to leave their um, corporate jobs. And so my experience from being on three different law schools is that in looking for um, corporate faculty there was definitely it was definitely a little bit harder to find people who could research and write and do all those things and had co- strong corporate experience. Because those people often want to continue doing corporate work. And so it was actually something that we would work very hard at to find great corporate candidates who wanted to come and teach and write about corporate law instead of practicing corporate law. So. Yeah, And this raises this question
1: about fields, like what, what you might think about studying and being a law professor. there, there uh, There's uh, obviously continuous need in law schools for, for teaching the, the, the core courses. And so when, as you think about this, well, which courses did I like? I liked property. That was strange, I know, but nevertheless. Um, uh, and so when I sort of transitioned, I thought, oh, I'd like to maybe teach property. Um, and write a little bit about property. I also liked my local government law course, so I decided I'd write in that. That's less of a demand (laughs) in law schools, so it wasn't particularly strategic to think in those terms. Um, 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 uh, Corporate law is an area which is always a great need. And um, getting good corporate law people can be challenging, so committees are looking for that kind of combination of, of interests. But it's very hard to tell year to year what law schools will need. There was a period of time where intellectual property was something every law school really was desperate for. um, And they were less desperate for constitutional law, for example. But sometimes that flips, and now there seems to be a lot lot of interest in constitutional law. And law schools do hiring very differently. So at UVA, we do look for particular fields and particular class uh, classes that people can teach but often we're trying to hire just sort of the best people on the market at the time that's it's still a consideration what they're teaching but not as much there are law schools who say hey this we need a civil procedure person they need to be able to teach civil procedure and they need to be able to write in this field as well or we need a corporate law person we don't have anybody teaching corporations Mm -hmm. We really need that, and they should write in this field too. So one of the things folks do as they're putting together their package, and this is later in the process, they're thinking about, well, what are the things I might teach? What are, the, what are, what are, what are some of the needs that law schools might have? What you don't want to do is be a person who only writes in a tiny little field that is what we would call, on a committee, a luxury item for law school. You want to be a little bit broader than that, so that you can teach a basic first-year course. You could maybe teach a basic second-year course. And you write in areas where there'll be a community of scholars, not just a very, very, very narrow place, even though you're, you certainly should write about what you're interested in. But that's, when you're sort of thinking about this, that's sort of what committees are looking for more generally.
2: Um, the more clinically focused faculty, um, is there like a, like a baseline of, because most of what you've been talking about is more geared toward the research faculty. Is there like a baseline of, of research and certain experience to have in addition to that expertise in a given area, or is it much more focused on that person's, you know,
0: ability or expertise in the given field that they'd be teaching the clinic in? I think it's it's partly expertise in that area. The other thing that's very helpful is does the person have any management experience because you are managing a clinic, you are managing students, you're you're interfacing with clients. You want to actually know that they have experience managing, you know, sort of multiple assignments and can kind of do the administrative part of a clinic. A clinic has quite a bit of, I mean, the student you all may not see it, but there's quite a bit of administration going on with clinics and so it's great if someone has great people skills, they know how to manage multiple um, sort of uh, you know, individuals on a diverse array of projects, as well as if they have taught any taught at all. So for example, even just teaching a course at a local law school, um, you know, sort of wherever you happen to be practicing, lots of law schools love having people from the community come in and teach something that they have a need for. And so having some teaching experience is also can be very valuable for clinical faculty. Yeah. Um, What you'll see, and this is
1: different from the research faculty and and clinicians, are they have a long, usually a long track record of doing the thing that they're doing in the clinic. They did it out in the world, and sometimes a much longer time than, say, the five to eight years or something like that. Not always. There are law schools, and again, it depends. It's quite different, that have uh, research and writing demands that they place on clinical faculty. Um, and they might be on a tenure track, for example. So that's a little bit different. Um, also, the clinical faculty hiring process doesn't always go through the double ALS meat market that I mentioned. Often, we just post for a position, like an appellate litigation clinic position, and then we get uh, resumes in the door, and that process is sometimes independent of the of the entry level market. Um, and again, these are usually people with more ex- certainly more experience. A lot of our clinicians were practitioners in that area before they before they came in.
2: caleb nelson also on the committee i just thought i'd underline a couple of things that professor Schreger and and professor robinson said but that i think are really important Um, so just working backward from how law schools hire people and this is mostly for research faculty type positions but but working backward from the meat market i think to get your foot in the door at the meat market to get an interview and, and to be in the ballpark I think pretty much you have to have at least two major writings under your belt which would include at least one major published writing besides your student note. So one, you know, article in a law review that has already appeared and the second one that's exactly like that except that it hasn't yet been published that can serve as your job talk but it's basically done, it's, it too is a, is a finished piece of work. And many people um, these days have more than that, have, have more writing which makes it all the more important what Professor Robinson said about while you're in law school now doing work of the sort that can serve as the basis for one of those articles because you have the luxury now of having you know a certain number of years where you're a student and you can research and write without having to bill hours on some other job you can get some foundation for for that but but be aware that that is kind of the price of admission, is at least two major pieces of of work and sometimes more than that. That's one reason why fellowships have taken off. I think one of the differences between the hiring market these days and the hiring market when I was an entry-level candidate is many, many, many more people are coming out of either PhD programs or fellowships where they've had the opportunity to write. Um, I have actual data on this. Um, sarah lawsky who's a professor at uc urbine compiles the entry-level hiring report each year so the numbers are a little noisy because they're based on self-reported data so just people when they get their jobs or schools when they hire somebody post something they send send sarah an email um, that gets compiled in this report but last year she says 82 reported hires of that 82 Zero had neither a fellowship nor a clerkship nor a, graduate, nor a PhD or JSD. So everybody had at least one of those three one of those three credentials: a doctorate, a fellowship, or a clerkship. Only three of the 82 simply had a clerkship. So 96% of the folks who were hired had either a fellowship or a doctorate, which includes JSD, but either a PhD or JSD, or both a fellowship and a, and a doctorate. And that's because of the writing that Professor Robinson was talking about, that just the price of admission for being considered for a research faculty position is having, at this at this point, a fairly substantial body of work beyond just a student note. Um, and as Professor Schrager says, I think as you're thinking toward that, you do want to be strategic about what you're writing in, because you want to write in areas that there's a need for in law schools. So if you're choosing, I want to, you know, write this major paper and spend a year of my life on this topic, I think it's a good idea if other things being equal for it not to be a luxury item type topic, but instead more at the core of what law schools do, just because there's more demand for for that kind of faculty member I Just a question, uh, you guys talk about
0: fellowships, does that include um, like VAPS or are VAPS separate? I think that includes VAPS. Yeah, so uh, there there are, there are,
1: Uh, there are fellowships in which they there's a range of kind of fellowship options one is um, where you're doing some legal uh, writing teaching there's a couple of fellowships like that out in the world Uh, that's sort of what I did although I was just a I didn't really have a fellowship they didn't give me any identity at all they just told me to teach this class I then transitioned into a visiting assistant professorship because I was not really that in the in the in the initial year and taught a substantive class. They needed somebody to teach civil procedure, so I taught it. Um, uh, um, and so but these are the same kind of, they do the same kinds of things. Um, um, Uh, and they're not uh, they're not always easy to find necessarily right some of these are uh, sometimes law school will have visiting assistant professorships and sometimes they won't sometimes they'll have a need like Quinnipiac had a need for civil procedure it wasn't an official fellowship right program uh, but I was around right so that that was, was just helpful to be in the building it turned out so those are good and I think uh, Professor Nelson is right, the folks we've helped on the market um, have often been sort of uh, had a couple of years to do some of this stuff and do a little bit of writing uh, beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: so you guys mentioned SJDs. Um, do you think those are very valuable or
0: are on par with the PhD? Because um, it seems like a lot of faculty don't have so, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think the PhD is valuable because you just get to do such a deep dive into something. And, you know, the time that you invest really yields great scholarship afterwards, assuming that you spent the time <laughs> wisely. Um, and so, I, I don't, I have to be honest, I don't know as much about the G- SJD. I think it's a sh- much shorter program. Um, and so part of what the PhD has going for it is just that you've just been researching and writing for a really long time. And so you just you can feed off of that, like I was saying, once you become a faculty member. Um, I don't know if an SJD, given that it's a shorter time frame, is going to have that same benefits. It doesn't mean that people don't go on the market. With an SJD, they do. But the, the, one of the benefits of the PhD is your deep expertise in your particular field that you then feed off of. For, Future research, the, the SJD. Sorry, just
1: a quick yeah. comment. The SJD was traditionally more for international students than, um, to to get a, a basis in in, in in U.S. law. The there's now a, Yale has started a Ph.D. in law program, and that's pretty new. And it's been, I think, for them, it's there's still some. <laughs> Uh, questions about how successful but um, but I think it's been m- m- pretty successful in terms of pl- then placing students and those are students who have JD's who, who for whatever reason don't want to pick a cognate discipline and then get a, a time to write um, uh, and, and do get a PhD it's through their graduate program at Yale that's the only program like that, I think, in the country at this point. Um, <clears throat> but more and more people are interested in it for this, for this reason. Um, and uh, we hired someone out of that program, Molly Brady, who sadly left for Harvard yes. <laughs> this fall. So she's doing pretty well out of it. I think probably the most successful recent candidate of that, of that program. And We identified her first, of course. <laughs> we, were so, we were so smart.
0: I was just going to ask if you could speak more about the fulfillment you get from the impact of your work, especially transitioning from the the real world to sort of advising um, what the law should be. Do you feel fulfillment from the impact your work has had, and how does that that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So, first of all, I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about is, as faculty members, lots of us engage in litigation and engage in... um, you know, sort of reform work, engage in products, we sit on commissions, we do all kinds of things that are impacting the world. So our sole impact isn't through our scholarship or through our students, it's that we're out there, Um, we're out there sort of engaging these issues. And so one of the great things though about engaging as a faculty member is you get to choose the projects you engage in as opposed to your boss telling you what you're about to engage in. And so it's great because you have people call you and say, can you take on this? And, um, you know, depending on what projects I have going on, which are usually a lot, oftentimes I turn those roles down. But there are times, you know, for example, right now I'm working with a think tank in D.C. because this think tank um, has a broad reach across the country where they're disseminating the scholarship of various scholars around the country to lawmakers to help shape education. So I was like, yeah, that I want to do, right? I want to get my scholarship into the hands of the people and so that was a, you know energetic yes to, whereas other projects of like, do you want to write a brief or something? Those I'm, I occasionally think about doing or take on, but much less likely. Um, um, there is some litigation right now, sort of going through federal court about a federal rights education that I may eventually get a, on a brief on. But that's because I write, I've written two books about the topic, so that's like really close to my heart. Um, but it's definitely, so we definitely get to have an impact sort of beyond our um, students and beyond our scholarship so many of us are just involved in litigation um, involved with think tanks involved with reform projects and so we just have a lot of flexibility to sort of take on those projects you can only take on so many of those because you have teaching and writing responsibilities but you can pick and choose the ones that are you know sort of just a great fit for you um, And so I personally find it very rewarding to have those kinds of projects happening, because I do want to make sure that my work is not sitting in an ivory tower. I want it out there helping kids. I mean, the whole reason I went into education law was because I care about the fact that um, there's so much inequality in education. So that is really important to me. Um, if I just felt like other scholars were reading my work, um, I would feel like I hadn't accomplished like, exactly what I became an academic to do, part of why I became it, so.
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, there's a range of practices some law professors they're 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 say let's say they're a legal historian they 're in the archives they're trying to that's what gears them up and they're not some some are out in the world but they're not necessarily interested uh, for other law professors they're doing litigation and amicus briefs and uh, uh, the American Law Institute and legal reform all the time and um and applying their their uh, their scholarship to, to, to real cases. So there's a, there's a nice range of options. Um, uh, and, um, and, and you do have the flexibility to do, do all that. In terms of fulfillment, um, uh, I think the teaching is hugely fulfilling. I think we've said that already. Um, and I think for lots of us, that's, that's one of the big pluses uh, of the job, which is to, to be in a, an environment with young people interacting, learning with them, doing the teaching that, that teaches us a lot of times. So that's really fun for us. Um, uh, and, and being in a university environment is really, is really nice. So that's always been a big plus uh, for me.
0: Well, one of the things we want to leave you with as a committee is to make sure that you all reach out to us as you're thinking about the market. And we don't mean like when you're about to send on the form that goes to double ALS, you want to contact us like well in advance of that process. One of the things we're trying to do is encourage UVA students to think about becoming law professors. You all have the credentials to do so, and so we want to encourage people to think about this and part of what's needed is someone to sort of help and guide you, and that's what our committee is for. Even if it, the composition of it may change eventually, the Academic Placement Committee is here to help you um, go onto the market. I know I had a mentor who explained all of what was to explain to you here, but also just held my hand through the whole process, because I can tell you, like, going and presenting your first paper to an entire room of faculty is an intimidating thing, right? And so what I did, um my mentor set up for me there were two different um mock you know job talks that i did so i sat with faculty a much smaller number but sat and did my talk and they gave me feedback on you know am i moving my hands too much which I can, you can tell that i do um, or am i saying ah oh, too much or am i you know not answering the question or you know or you may want to say this you know and the, so i did that multiple times i can still picture in my mind doing a moot job talk in a couple of law professors' dining room, right? I can still see it, and um, they're faculty at GW right now. Um, but they were helping me and shepherding me onto the market. Well, we want to do that for you all. We have already this year talked with and done sort of mock interviews with candidates who are from UVA who are going on the market, and we want to be that resource for you. So we just want to make sure people are aware of that, that you have this resource, and if you want to go on the market, we are here to support you in doing that. So. Yeah, and all the things before that. So if you have yes.
1: questions for us, I live over there on the first floor. I
0: live on the third floor for you? now. Yeah, you're on, yeah.
1: on the third floor. But come and see us. It's never too early. It's never too late, frankly. But um, um, And we can talk about it. Yeah, um, uh, And um, um, and after this, if a question occurs to you, we're available to you. So we want to make, make sure. And, if you have friends and neighbors who might be interested, too, tell them we're here, too. The Academic Placement Committee is awesome. They're great people to hang out with, yes, right? And so definitely. come and hang out with us. Thanks, thanks for coming, everybody.
0: Yes, thank you. It.